Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair-Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Timothy Fair-Matthews from the F10X Academy, and we've got a very special talk here today. We are with Dave Crane. He is a former BBC journalist and an award-winning motivational speaker, public speaking coach, and he is the CEO of Dave Crane Global. He's presented keynote and motivational seminars at prestigious events across the globe, most recently and in NASA, which is pretty awesome, and TEDx. Changed thousands of lives and is now going to change yours. And the topic of discussion today is how to corona-proof your business. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the, on the group and giving us an hour of your time. How are you, mate? Fantastic. I was just listening to your, your summary of who I am. If you said, and he's not the CEO of Dave Crane Global, he just works there, that would be very disappointing. So I was more than happy to see how that panned out. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically, you do, you do work at C, uh, Dave uh, Crane Global. Technically, you do work there. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. A lot. So that's cool. So how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. Very well. We're on a slightly earlier talk today, so it's nice to be a little bit in the light. I think we normally do these in the evening, but I'm, I'm sure we're going to get as, a lot of interaction still because I think a lot of people were looking forward to your talk. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, I've gave uh, I've gave everyone a little bit of an introduction about yourself, but please tell us a bit more about you, uh, what you're doing at the minute, and, and kind of your journey to to today, basically. Fantastic. Thanks very much for inviting me on the show. Um, a little pot because the thing is I could talk forever. That's what I do for a living. So when I start talking about um, recently, I have to narrow it down. Otherwise, people fall asleep or start looking out the window. Um, I've been in Dubai for about 25 plus years. I used to work for the BBC as an Israel Portion journalist. My background has always been in entertainment. And um, about, about three, four years ago, I realized from all the things that I'd done, things like hosting Dubai Rugby Sevens for 20 years, going out in the middle of the field, with a, wow. a microphone and 45,000 drunken people. Um, I, bet, and, I, I bet that's really hard, is it not? Is that really hard trying to keep the crowd not, at that entertainment focused? It's not hard. It's just that you have to babysit them. You have to oh, make okay. sure that the way that you, you have a tame them, them, or they will tame you. You've got to train an audience or an audience will train you. So from the very beginning, you have to establish that you will look after them. They're going to have fun. They're going to enjoy it, but you will make sure that they fall into certain rules. And all the way through, you've got to make sure that you establish that every time you talk to them. Because if you let it slip, I remember years ago, we had a group of people that came in and they said, we can work an audience. I said, well, let me introduce you. No, 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 we're fine. We know what we're doing. The guy went out and he had some sticks that he was going to get everyone to clap in time to. And um, he started talking to the audience. And within about 30 seconds, you know, in that movie 300, where all the arrows fly over. That was Heineken and Cannes flying at his head until oh, he was bombarded no. and he gave up and defeated. He walked off the field and never came back again. So 
you have to get the right tone. With every audience, doesn't matter who it is, you've got to get the right tone. And what yeah, I say is it's like finding the Wi-Fi code. In the same way as you know exactly the audience that you've got here and the way that they relate, you've got exactly the right way of, of uh, relating to them. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. And so many people get it wrong, especially CEOs. So my main business now is training um, celebrities, billionaires, uh, CEOs, decision makers, um, big hitters, basically, to be effective on stage. Because normally when they go out and talk, they're terrible at it. And so what ultimately happens is everyone claps because they're the boss and they know if they don't clap, they don't get paid. But it doesn't mean that they're very good at it. So I teach them to be good at it because if they're not, they can make or lose a million dollars on one speech just by saying the wrong things to the wrong people. And then the guy who comes on after you does it better until people put their money into them. So it's really about the stagecraft, the things that people never learned at school. And uh, I was blessed enough to learn it from the very tender age of three. So I've got a slight advantage over most. Well, so you're, you're, pretty, you're only as good as your last talk, I guess. That's basically where you're going with that. Well, I think you're only as good as your next one, to be honest with you, from the events business, because as soon as you've done something, nobody cares. It's all about what you've got coming up next. And uh, yeah. ultimately, to pay bills, that's what you have to think about at the same time. But what you need to have of anything, is especially if you want to position yourself as a, as a professional speaker, is you have to have social proof. So you need to be able to show evidence that the, the gigs that you're doing are of a certain quality. Because the events managers want certainty. They want to ultimately know that if they bring you on, it's because you will earn them the money they want and give them the kudos that they need and be the, the least amount of effort and there's no ego and all the rest of it. And you've got to be able to, able to prove that. Otherwise, you've got a million different people to choose between. Um, and so you've got to be able to prove that. So every event that you have, you need to make sure that you leave them wanting to come back to you. And I train people the whole skills set that goes into doing that effectively. Wow. How do, how do, how do you find your groove with this? I mean, because obviously some speakers are obviously very comedic, some are very serious, some are very inspirational, some are very energetic. Like, do you think it comes naturally? Does it tie very much in who you are as a person or, or does it, is it something you have to work at? Well, it's 100% who I am as a person. And I think today's news stories really do reflect the answer to that question. Remember, I was a black kid growing up in the north of England. Actually, I grew up in Scotland, then I went to the north of England. When you're a black kid in a white town, you learn to do two things. You either learn to fight very well or make people laugh a lot. So I chose to make people laugh a lot, which means that, again, going back to the Wi-Fi code, your ability to communicate with people on the level that they want to be communicated with means that you're able to, to change the way that you are to fit in with them, and then when you've got them, you can move on together. And so I found that those skill sets are so natural to me that when put into an arena of how many thousand people, I just feel it. I just feel the, the emotional levels of the audience. And when you're capable of doing it and you're on the stage and stagecraft, you can take them up, you can bring them down, you can hold them in silence, and you can take them on a journey and do stuff. And so it really is like you're creating a roller coaster ride for them in front of them. So it really depends on the audience, on the objectives as well. Sometimes I'm just there to joke. Sometimes I'm there to host. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's sports. It really depends because I'm a stage hypnotist as well, which I think is one of the most challenging of all the, the actual different hats that I wear. Because when you go out to do a stage hypnosis show, everyone thinks it's utter rubbish. Everyone thinks you've made it up. You're lying. It's not true. You've got plants in the audience. None of that is at all true. 
you go out in front of a relatively hostile audience, say there's 100 people, 500 people in the audience, and you have got to get 10 people to come up on stage, go into a hypnotic trance, someday you've got to create a really effective and funny hypnosis show and bring everybody out of it and not let anybody know how you've done it. So it's a science experiment and it's a real challenge of your ability to, to use all the skill sets I talked about working a live audience and take them to a brand new level because all you have is a microphone and a, and a CD or, or a music player that's got some special effects and a load of chairs. You've got an audience with their arms folding saying, this is rubbish, I don't believe you. And that's when it really sets in as to how good you are working an audience. Wow. Can you tell me a bit more about this hypnotherapist thing? I, I find it quite fat because I've never seen it in real life. I'm very obviously skeptical. I mean, I'm sure most people who've never experienced it before would as well. But tell us a bit about how that kind of works and, 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 and why you do and why you got into that. That's quite, I would love to know that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story about it. My very dear friend, uh, a guy called Stuart Knox, when I was about three to five years old growing up in Scotland, uh, we both wanted to be superheroes. And I wanted to be Black Panther, obviously. He wanted to be Captain America. And we wanted to go to America to fight crime. What a good job that would be today. Um, and ultimately, my dad said no, because he was my dad and because we were ridiculous five-year-olds. Um, but in the end, I caught up with them years later, moved from Scotland, lived in England, and lived in Dubai, and so on. And on Facebook, I looked him up. And he's actually a motivational speaker and hypnotist. So what are the odds of wanting to have that as a child? We go separate ways from about the age of 11, but end up kind of in the center. So that, that's kind of a weird story, but it's completely true. Uh, sorry, what was your question again? I just want to make sure I'm on point for what it is you're asking. I, I kind of wanted to know how you got into hypnotherapy and, and, and kind of like how that works really with what you do. Because I've never experienced it, so I just think for some yeah. people that haven't maybe as well, I'd just like to know more. Okay, so there's two things. First of all, there's, there's how I got into it. And the yeah. second thing um, is basically how it all works. So yeah. how I got into it was um, I was a radio DJ for many years especially for people who okay. know me in Dubai, who are as old as me. So was that, was that with the BBC, bored. was it? Was that with no, the BBC? I, was in Dubai. I, I used to be a station manager for one of the radio stations oh, okay. out here. So I, I, was, wow. I was on for about 10 years, um, and I was very famous, quite clearly not now. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to get out of DJing because there's, there's something about it when you're young and cool and trendy, getting a dance floor full of people and playing music and having a party is great. As you get older, you don't care. And as you get older, you want to go back to your, to your missus and watch TV. When you're driving home, you have a cup of tea. And it's, just, it's not the same thing. So I wanted to find something that was entertainment-based, but also would um, be interesting enough for me because I had to have something that, that would, first of all, pay what I was getting as a DJ, but also be challenging as an entertainer. So I looked at a lot of different things. I mean, I've got an okay singing voice, but I certainly wasn't a musician. Um, magic didn't interest me because I knew it was tricks. And I also knew I just couldn't be bothered to learn it. So hypnosis was fascinating, because if it was real, I wanted to know. If it wasn't real, then I just didn't want to bother with it. So as a result, um, I studied Paul McKenna, who was a very famous British um, radio DJ. He used to be in Radio 1 in the 80s and 90s, and then he transitioned into being a, a stage hypnotist, and now he's one of the foremost NLP um, master practitioners and healers in the UK. So I, I, I went through what he kind of went through. I actually worked with him at some point as well. And I thought, okay, what decisions would I make? If stage hypnosis is real, then I want to learn. So I went to Vegas, and I trained to be a stage hypnotist in my first show in Vegas, which was fascinating. Came back to Dubai, and I said, everybody, I'm a stage hypnotist. Who wants to come to my shows? 
And everyone said, we don't understand what it is and we're not interested and we think you're weird. So uh, I got work in the corporate world where obviously they're going, well, is that real? Let's just see. And what I found was I got people come up to me and maybe it's a specific dividing where people don't like losing face. They don't like to look stupid in front of others. Whereas in the UK, in America, in the West, yeah, generally, they people can don't find themselves a bit more, yeah. Exactly. But here, it, it, it has an effect on you and your business and so on. So I, I get that. So um, people approached me and said, we really love your show. But before you get people to come up and volunteer, you talk to them about how your mind works. Would you mind coming to explain that bit to our staff that don't do the show? I said, are you going to pay me the same money? They said, yes. I went 100 times yes. So that's how my motivational speaking career began, because I would go in and explain how your mind works, teach people the basics of NLP and hypnosis and how to reinvent yourself and personal development, and, and that's how it came to be. And that developed all the way along. Uh, I don't do many stage hypnosis shows because I'm so busy training people and also um, doing motivational events and, and, and speaking around the world. So um, that's the, the me side of it. As a hypnotherapist as well, that's another part, not the stage hypnosis. As a hypnotherapist, I wanted to be able to help people stop smoking, uh, lose weight, deal with childhood issues, deals with fear and phobias and stuff like that. And I didn't want it to be guesswork at the end of a show. People say, can you help me with this? I wanted to be able to say, yes, I can. So I studied, first of all, to be a hypnotherapist before I became a stage hypnotist and an NLP master practitioner. And so for about 10, 15 years, not so much now, I don't do so much now, um, I've been helping people to deal with all sorts of issues and reprogramming how their mind works. So I'll, I'll go back to this in a moment. I'll just explain the fact that hypnosis may seem like a scary, weird thing, but it's everywhere. It's in politics, it's in sales, it's in religion, it's in um, sports, it's everywhere. Whenever you go, it's in music. When you go into a trance state, you change your sense of awareness and you go into your subconscious mind. And when you're in your subconscious mind, you're very suggestible. So from a DJing point of view, for instance, if I was playing a gig in front of a load of older expats and I put on Dancing Queen, even if the dance floor is empty, it will get packed with people who go, oh, this is my song. Oh, I said, I'm going to start dancing to it. Maybe that'd be really old people. Um, but what would happen is they instantly go into a trance state. And it's just provoked by the music. So that happens to us all the time. Religion is based on that. Think about it. The cult of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, all of them are what's called inductions. They put you into a trance state. And when you're in that state, anybody can say things to you. One of the best practitioners on the planet at this well, I won't say his name because quite clearly it's a subject I want to avoid at the moment. But people like Donald Trump, politicians, are great at doing this. Everything that they say is loaded in a way that gets to a certain type of person who instantly buys into everything, got to bypass the, the sort of filters that people have. So I train people to be able to do this effectively for their audiences, for their, um, for their staff, for conferences. And it's really powerful, really effective. The bottom line is, sorry, go on. I was going to say, it's, it's, so it's not, I mean, stereotypical, it's not like this little thing where you put someone in a trance and make them cut like a chicken. It's very much just learning to use your mind and leveraging your subconscious and, and almost not tricking your mind, but getting your mindset correct with, and, with, and, like, exactly and just aligning right. it with your values and stuff. So is it, it's more that, isn't it? It's understanding how to program your mind and stop other people programming it for you. I mean, mm. the, the bottom line is, if you look at when hypnosis was first invented, it goes back to ancient Egypt. So two, three, two to 3,000 years ago, people had houses of sleep where they put people into a trance state and then they could operate on them. 
And uh, there's a guy called James Estale, a Scottish uh, missionary working in India about 100, maybe 150 odd years ago. And he was working and he was seeing the, the, the Indian Swamis who were able to put people into a trans state and do amazing things. They were the kind of priests at the time. So he was working with the British Medical Board, came back and he said, look, I can hypnotize people and then we can do stuff with them. And at the time, ether has ju was just being utilized. So when you put ether on people, um, you would knock them out and then you could operate on them. But of course, the wrong amount of ether would kill the wrong sort of person. So I'm quite sure the little fat bloke like me uh, might be knocked out straight away by something, but it might not affect the taller guy. So a lot of people died by getting the wrong amount of, of, of ether to put on. Now, if hypnotherapy had been addressed properly, because I said to James, right, can you do more? And he said, well, no, I'm a missionary. I want to go back over there and do, my, do God's work. So he disappeared. So ultimately what we have now is we have pharmacists, because that was the beginning of medical, that was the beginning of, of, of the pharmaceutical industry, big pharma and everything. If he had stayed, and if he had pursued that direction, we would now have everybody being a practicing hypnotherapist. You'd see that shop corners um, in uh, shopping malls wouldn't have a pharmacist, but have a hypnotist. And I really truly believe that when people understand what makes their minds tick, first of all, they get control. Secondly, they're able to question everything effectively, and then they're able to drive what they get out of their lives. Without that, you're at the mercy of what everybody tells you. And if from the very beginning you've been told by people this is the way it is, and they end up in a situation like we've got right now where everything that we've been told to follow is very disappointing, people don't know what to do. So one of the first things I would do is teach people how to reinvent themselves and how to understand how their own minds work. And then with the right way of moving forward, they can do anything. How fascinating. I, I've never looked at it that way. Interesting. I mean, I, I suppose it's it's such an alien thing, isn't it? The human brain. I mean, you just have, I mean, you think you're in control of it, but you're really not. How? how I am. Say again, mate, sorry. I am in control of mine because I know how to work it. Uh, good. Well, I mean, I'm pleased. <laughs> pleased. I mean, I'd love to. Can you share some success stories? Have you got anyone that you've helped transform with with this? So, any stories you can share on, on what some people have accomplished with with this? Sure. I, I can't name names because it's obviously um, confidentiality. I've helped lots of people to stop smoking. My dad, for instance, I stopped him smoking on his 60th birthday as a gift to my mum. And uh, he'd been smoking since he had just 13 when he was young. He got cigarettes for his birthday from his mum, and it was a different era then, you know, post-war post-Second World War. Um, and uh, I stopped him smoking in two hours and he's never smoked again. And uh, he's 75 now. So that's one of my proudest moments. Wow. I just wanted to stay around long enough to be able to look after my mom. And she's 80 this year, which is beautiful as well. Um, wow. I've, I've, done, I've hypnotized people all around the world. I use it in corporate environments where I, I go out to maybe 500 people and I hypnotize everybody. And I reprogram them to see themselves being successful in the future. And what happens is your mind creates a roadmap to be able to see it. It's like when you have a vision board and you've got the visuals of what you want. Yeah. Your, mind is, your mind will work on whatever you're interested in. So if you've got a negative person who's complaining, oh, it's a crappy day and everything's going wrong, but to actually tell their mind, find more examples of what I'm interested in. So we'll see more examples of what a rubbish day it is. But if you can actually take control of your mind and say, look, hold on, I know it's a bit rubbish, so how do I make it better? Your mind goes, oh, now we're interested in how we make it better. Let's have a look around and see that. So you start noticing whatever you program into it. It's incredibly effective. And I'm actually working on a huge project at this moment to be able to get this across to um, help people who are suffering. I mean, we're, right now we're just about to have a second pandemic. And that second pandemic is mental health. 
The people who have suffered from coronavirus, lost their job, lost loved ones, been knocked for six about what's going on right now, and the world doesn't accept it. If you say, I've got some kind of mental issue, people avoid you like it's something they can catch, or they, they feel that you've dropped the ball. Right now, there's so many people suffering. I mean, if you've been in lockdown on your own, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to stand yeah. even a week on your own? There's so many people who are suffering from that. So my mission at the moment is to be able to, I'm, I'm working on a project called Brand New You, where everything I've learned to reinvent yourself, I'm going to be having as, a, as an available product for people to be able to start from the very beginning, take control of their lives, take control of their, their friends' lives, uh, and emotionally be able to, to recalibrate what they do from now on. And that really helps when you need to reinvent yourself and, and pivot in business. But even if you're in a job that keeps you relatively sane and safe, you really do need to have that control. Because right now, more than anything, you, you do get the feeling that the people making decisions for us don't really have our best interests at heart. I've never known a time in my lifetime where everyone's been so on their own to their own devices yeah. as we've got right now. Well, that's, that's why communities are so important. It's one of the reasons why we put our heads together and partnered with people like yourself to build this community. I mean, I think, you know, we are, you, you go further as a team and as together. And, you know, if you're at home alone and you are struggling and you, you can't lean out to people that, and this is your only method, then, you know, at least it's something. I mean, I've, it, my heart goes out to people 100 years ago when they didn't have the internet. You know, imagine, imagine being locked up inside then. No communication. Well, completely. they didn't get locked up inside. They just died. 100 million well, people died. Yeah. And mm. we're, we're lucky enough to, to be able to see what the world is like right now. We've got the internet. At least we've got social distancing, rubber gloves and masks. Remember, when it happened last time, um, we didn't know it was happening. People were just recovering from a world war coming back mm. rationed and famine and all the rest of it. And it just, what, just went through communities. Half of communities died in a very short amount of time because they couldn't yeah. deal with it. At least we have the ability to, to rationalize it. And the flattening of the curve, at least means that if we do get it, we've got a better chance of survival. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I think the reason, one of the reasons why it did die out was because it ran out of people to infect. I think I read somewhere. It literally spread that much. It was, um, it, it, it was, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I love that though, brand new you. That's a really, you know, the second pandemic that you mentioned, that's that's really interesting because I, I don't think this is, you know, over at all. I think, you know, very much, even though things are starting to open up again now, people have to be, you know, it's still a crucial time to be doing your best work. I keep saying this. Um, the recession's not even hit yet. It's going to hit. And I think people need to be prepared for that. So um, I want to kind of steer this now a little bit more towards the topic of discussion. You, you, you're very big on corona-proofing your business. Now, um, Obviously, I think everyone in this group has been affected. I mean, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself because I, I think even you've even had like you've even had to pivot yourself, haven't you? How, how has things have been affected for you in the last couple of months? Yeah, no pressure. What do you do for a living? I'm an entertainer and I'm a public speaker and a motivational speaker. I go on stage and I, then I, I work with crowds of people to teach them to be effective speakers. Coronavirus, you're in lockdown. You can only talk to a laptop. Oh, that's a bit of a challenge. I know. So you, yeah. should, you, should have been, you should have been really busy. You should have been like out here, there, everywhere, traveling around, doing lots well, of I events. Well, I would be. I would have been normally. But you know what? I've been really busy. I've been doing Good. training for companies. It's actually opened my eyes. And, and I, I practice what I preach. One of the things is, and I'll tell you this, it's just true. I don't tell lies. I tell you exactly the truth as it is. But I reserve the judgment to change it because... If you tell a lie, you've got to do another 15 lies to cover it. I mean, another 15 lies to cover that. Why bother? I'm not smart enough to remember what I said. I just tell it like it is. So 
what I had to do is I had to reinvent myself. But one of the beautiful things about what's happened during the coronavirus, and I'm, I don't mean that to disrespect all the death and all the suffering and all the pain, uh, I fully respect that and people who have suffered. But what it does is it throws you out of your comfort zone. Now, I deliberately live out my comfort zone anyway. As soon as I get good at something, I get bored and do something that challenges me because I want to have lived a life effectively. And so what I had to do was start realizing that instead of wanting to work in a gig in Dubai, what if I could motivate millions of people around the world because all their staff are on Zoom at home? So I've been doing Thanks. Zoom sessions. I've been working um, actually as much as I would normally by doing these big events around the world. So I've, I won't say the clients have got lined up, but I've got a number of big events lined up over the next couple of uh, weeks and months where I'll be talking to 1,500 people on their laptops and doing performances and presentations and training people at the same time. And for many of them, they need to have a brand new U program. That's the reason I developed it, because initially it came from inquiries, you know, big oil companies and so on saying, all our staff have been in lockdown and many of them are so petrified they won't even order fast food because they read on the news that it comes covered in coronavirus. And so they, they won't even order food in. And I just know that this is a massive challenge. The only way that this works is to start from scratch, from the basics that we should have learned from school, but who we are, but the, our lives are our fault. Everything you get until the day you die is your fault. If you've got a crappy yep. life, that's your fault. There are certain advantages depending on who you are and who you're born to and what all that. But at least you have the power to know that you can do something about it. And it's not about whether you're better than the person next to you. It's just the best version of you. And I can help people become the best version of themselves. So for me, the coronavirus challenge gave me two things to do. First of all, I had to pivot. And so I, I went from um, doing a couple of people online, which is what I did anyway, to creating a brand new system called speakonstage.com. So anybody anywhere in the world can get trained automatically to become a great public speaker, to reinvent their business and to drive their, their business from there. And what I also did was a dear friend of mine, a guy called uh, Ernesto Verdugo, who uh, some of your guests may, may know, he's been in Dubai. He's actually the first person to introduce uh, internet marketing to the UAE about 15, 20 years ago. Um, he and I were talking just as a lockdown was happening, and he's based in Houston, and I'm based in, obviously in Dubai. And we said, what can we do to help people? Because there's a lot of scared people who won't know what to do. So we decided to do a web TV show, and we called it the Toilet Paper Diaries, because it was kind of funny, because everyone was fighting over toilet paper, so we just thought, why don't we call it that? Now, quite some time later, we're going, why did you call it the Toilet Paper Diaries? But it was funny at the time. And using the same technology that you, you're using right now, we started just broadcasting every day. We decided we'll be here until the lockdown's over, and we'll just tell people what to do. So we went from just having a conversation and sharing a few news clips to producing a really effective TV show for an hour. And we got thousands of people watching it. Um, and it resonated with entrepreneurs, with business people, with speakers, with people who are worried about what they need to do next. And by the end of it, on the 50th episode, we decided to call the halt. We're going to start new season soon. The 50th episode, we had royals on it and special guests. We had 25 special guests, royals, heads of industry, CEOs, radio presenters, TV presenters, authors. We have people like, for instance, John Matone, who's the, um, who is Steve Jobs' coach. We've got the, the lady, uh, who, uh, Sharon Lecter, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, along with Robert Kiyosaki. Really top-end names. Fons Trompenaz, one of the godfathers of HR. And they all came on because they appreciated the effectiveness of the show. 
So that's one of the things that, that I did. And we did it for no money. We just did it because we, we knew people were scared. And we wanted to be able to help them reinvent themselves, a bit like you're doing here with your community. And I think that the one thing that we realized at the very beginning was not monetizing it. We didn't want to monetize it. What we wanted to do was just have empathy, which is what many people got wrong. The important thing was to let people know they're not alone, that you are with them, you feel the way that they feel. And if they're ready, they can come with you on a journey. If they're not, then that's fine, then you can just, just be there and experience it. And I think that one of the things that was so fascinating about doing that was, and this is where we're going to go into the coronavirus element. Right now, we're just coming out of a reset button being pressed on the, on the globe, on the world, on every industry. Everyone's been in shutdown for about, say about two months. During that time, they're wondering what to do. Many businesses carried on, but many businesses are frozen and they're just wondering, how do we do this? And they maybe have found their business models disappeared completely. The important thing is to think about how do I reinvent the business I, I used to be in and who's going to be interested in doing that? And so what we had to do was look at that and look at the way that people have to now communicate and think differently. Because right here we are communicating. We've never met before now. We've talked on WhatsApp, but we've never met. But this is now a preferable and fascinating way to communicate with people. And so one of the things I teach people is digital stagecraft. Because most people have a fear of public speaking. Nine out of ten people have a fear of public speaking. Imagine how much more effective that is when it's not just public speaking, it's talking to strangers through the laptop. So things like, for instance, the backdrop. So many people use Zoom and they've got this digital backdrop where it's like an ocean scene. And if their head goes back like this, their chin is the only thing that's left and they've got to go forward. Or they have a cupboard or something behind them. The backdrop behind you is as important and as effective as your LinkedIn um, background. You know, putting something there that relates to your business. So part of digital stagecraft is about the ability to, to pivot your business and also realize that you can reach anybody around the world. You don't have to think about locality now. It doesn't matter whether you, you commute or not, because I don't think anybody wants to commute anymore. I think everyone's done with that. And they're done with being on a, a, on a tube station or being stuck in a bus queue or whatever it would be that they get to work, even stuck in traffic. If you can communicate with people all around the world like this, why not? So we're going through what I thought was going to be a tsunami of a digital revolution that would take 12 months. The, co the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced people to do it now. Anybody who's not reinventing, anybody who's not thinking about how they can go digital um, is daft. And to be honest with you, you should have done it six months, six weeks ago. You should have really yeah. thought about it. We no, could I mean, just try to take the diaries. Sorry, John. It's so you know. It's so true. I mean, we we had uh, Ramis Halu on the on the talk yesterday on the on the group, and he was talking that you know it's everything you do right now needs to be centered around empathy and value. I mean, it's the best way to sell anyway. I mean, ignoring the fact it's it's not a pandemic you know shift. It's it's how you sell. You need to provide value and serve people first. But I mean, like what you've done, create brand new you. That's that's what I call like a pandemic product. It's something that's incredibly relevant right now. And I don't think people are capitalizing on the potential of what their service can do right now to people in this current climate. It doesn't mean that people are not spending. People are still investing. People still need to do business. They're, the world will go around. It's just we're now in a new economy. We're almost like in now, like you said, a new digital age. It's COVID is it just accelerated the inevitable. Um, I mean, is I mean, how efficient is it right now that we're able to do this to people? 
um, that we never met. You know, everyone's in the comfort of their own home. No one's spent any fuel. It's great for the environment. No, no one's got caught in traffic. No one's got accidentally knocked over by a car. No, no, everyone's very safe, you know, and, and it's compliant with the laws of being self-isolated. And not to mention it's you're making a bigger impact with much more people and quickly. So it's if anything, it's much more in line with your vision because your vision is bound to be centered around helping as many people as possible. However you do that, whatever product service you have, it's this this is in a way an amazing opportunity i think we all have to find a way where i say go online i think we should all be online by this point like you said we're absolutely daft if we're not online already if you're not online it's it, i just don't know how, I, I don't know i don't know what to say to it it's just it's daft it's, it's the perfect word for it perfect word that, that's, that's exactly why i traded speak on stage because i realized that the thing that people have to do this reinvention and and the thing is it might seem challenging and i understand that especially if you've always been in a job with people and you've always been paid i mean just over broke is effectively what a job is but if you've always been paid for a service or people buy your time when you go online and you create a digital business or a, or a bricks and mortar hybrid of digital business your 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 world has just gone from the locality of people who want to do business with you where you are to just over 7 billion people. You can be forever communicating and doing stuff. Yeah. I mean, one of the best tidbits I heard was uh, Airbnb. Do you know what Airbnb did to reinvent themselves? No, go on. So Airbnb, well known as a sort of um, as a hotel world killer. Not really, they sort of just basically rent out people's properties. And allow yeah, yeah, you to yeah. stay there by paying by the evening or by paying by the week. Well, they first of all said, right, we're going to make it so it's coronavirus proof. So we're going to give people two weeks of quarantine on addition to the booking. Big deal. But they've got a switchboard model where if you want something, then they have access to a lot of things at the other end and they can plug you in. So what we decided to do was rather than the new people wouldn't travel, the new people really didn't want to stay in somebody else's house for a while. I'm going to be in lockdown. So we said, why don't we create digital experiences for people? Why don't we have it? So if you want to learn to make a pizza, we can connect you through Zoom with a guy who will make pizzas for you in Italy. If you want to go on a Kenyan safari trip, we've got a guy on Zoom or with his drone or whatever it is who will go out into the safari because he lives in Kenya and it'll cost you $25, $35. If you want to see the dogs roaming around in Chernobyl, we'll get somebody out there so you can see it all and you can talk to them and you can interact. So they've created this incredible business model where you can have experiences. Now, some people say, oh, $25, that's expensive. Not if you sat there with a family and your choice is Netflix or what should we do today? So a lot of the out-of-the-box ideas and thoughts are so perfect for now. You'd never have had that before. I mean, the show that you're creating now, which is wonderful, and we've got some fascinating questions and comments from people, those people would have been in the office and not allowed to watch it in many cases, or they were just too busy or whatever. Why would you want to go back to the way that it was before? I actually enjoy this. I actually enjoy the interaction. I enjoy the fact that right now I've got my dogs out there. I've got my wife downstairs. I've got my daughter. I've got my friends access to them like this. Um, and I don't even have to leave the house. I will leave the house at some point, but not until somebody says, by the way, they take that. We're safe now. <laughs> I'm not interested until that's actually a nice thing. Sure. No, I completely, I completely agree with you. I think that's there's certainly going to be some things to stay, um, guys. We're just everyone watching. Just so you know, um, we we are going to probably move on to the how you can actually corona 
uh, virus proof your business now. Um, but please put in your comments because later on towards the end of the talk, we're obviously going to do the, uh, the questions, uh, Q&A session. So anyone who has any questions for Dave, because he's helped a lot of businesses and CEOs and entrepreneurs over the years. So I'm sure you'll get a lot of value. But um, Dave, please tell me how, what, what are the steps that you feel any, you know, let's, let's focus this on Dubai business owners specifically because that's i think the majority of the people in the group what can they do to weather the next few months what can they do to prepare for the the second pandemic which um i think is brilliant by the way you're calling it that what can people to do to stay mentally fit keep their business fit and, and basically corona proof uh, the business okay there's three things that you need to consider first of all the way the world is and the what, what people want and that's changing on a daily basis but it's it's pretty much not the, the the way that it's been um, since the lockdown, but it is ever evolving. So you've got to have an ear to the ground of what that is. You've got to think about what your brand is. What is your brand? Do people think about you? Do they think about your business? Do they, does your name come up when it's mentioned? Are you congruent? When you talk about pizzas and you make pizzas, do people think of you or do they think of some other brand? And then you've got to think about the way that you communicate with people. Have you got an effective online communications thing? It's one thing to pay for adverts. It's a very effective and probably fastest way to build an audience and build followers. But where those three things fit together, your brand, let me just put it in here, right, your brand's three circles, your brand, your, um, the, the what's going on around the world, and here is your communication skills, your, your ability to speak or do online stuff, in the center is what you should be doing. Now, I used to teach people about a thing called the hedgehog concept, and that was uh, created by a guy called Jim Collins, a very famous author who wrote two fascinating books that I, I read, uh, Built to Last, and good to great. And he looked at what made a company last for a hundred years. So you got the owner, the founder who creates it, then you got their children that take over and run the business, and then you got their kids that take over, the grandkids that come in and say, I like driving Lamborghinis, why should I work? And people in Dubai won't recognize that that's the thing, but I'm sure it. Um, so what happened was you, to make a company last for a hundred years, you had to then look at what it did so naturally that it would be very effective doing that and just doing that. So the way that works, again, with the Venn diagram idea with the three circles, like that in a triangle, there's three circles you've got to think of. First one is what could you feasibly say you're the best in the world at doing? What do you do so well, so effortlessly, that people say, you know what, there's only one person I'd recommend, it's that. Now, if you don't feel that's true for you, but it might be a case of looking through your CV or looking through the jobs you've done and say, right, all these different duties on that job, all these different duties on that job and that job over there, actually, when I did that bit, I, I was very good at that. In fact, I was brilliant. I used to say to people, leave that, I'll take care of it. And it was true in that bit. And so you find out what the area is of a list of things you're brilliant at. The next thing, the next circle, is to work out what you're passionate about, what you love doing so it never feels like work. So you can do it 24-7, and it's just a blessing to be able to do that. And the third thing is what will people pay for? Not what do you want people to have, because that doesn't matter. We could all have flying machines. You know, jetpacks for everybody, but right now, if you're not leaving the house, why would you want one? So where these three circles meet is your hedgehog. Now, the reason I say hedgehog is because a hedgehog, as you know from the UK, is like a porcupine, a very boring creature, unless you're another hedgehog, which is a trouble pattern, uh, that wanders around in the garden. I'm not sure if he eats slugs or snails or, or anything, but nature is made and so powerful that when they're in danger, they curl up into a ball, spikes from the outside, and no natural predators can get at them. So when you're doing what you're brilliant at and what you love and what people will pay for, that's your hedgehog. The earlier you find that, the, you should only do that for the rest of your life. 
And when you're caught in a pandemic and you're thinking, okay, well, I was doing a hedgehog and it doesn't seem to be working, reinvent it. Look at what the want is. Look at what you do brilliantly still in what you need and what you love doing. If you're off, then it feels like you're going to work. If you're in, it means that you're still going to be able to be that effective hedgehog and you should do it for life. And so, I mean, my daughter, she's nine years old, Maya, beautiful. She goes to school. And I felt from my school days, which obviously were two centuries ago, um, that school was pretty much a waste of time for me. Not because I didn't learn stuff. I was very good. I got very good qualifications. But I learned more on the playground about people than I ever learned from the qualifications. I mean, now all that stuff we have to remember, you can Google. So why would you have to remember? Even now we're being told to remember it. Forget it. Forget it. Mm. Your interaction with people, your ability to understand what you do and what the world wants should be taught from the very beginning. If you find that what you like doing is doodling and making pictures while you're looking out the window, then become a graphic designer. There are eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds who are doing stuff. My daughter makes movies. She makes gacha movies. And they're the ones with a little sort of anime cartoons. And she's brilliant and she puts music on it. She gets everyone to talk and characters. And she'll get comedies, um, comedy sketches that we'll see from Faulty Towers or whatever it is. And she'll animate the characters in that world. She also creates hotels and man- Minecraft, wow. but not wow. at school. At school, she sits there. No, I, 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 do, I do think school, I think, you know, it's incredibly dated. We were, again, we were talking about this yesterday. We were saying that sales isn't even treated, uh, even taught in schools, and that, that's incredibly important. Communication, obviously, like your field of expertise is, is not, you know, taught. I mean, I'm in content producing. I mean, I, I don't know anyone that's taught content till they get to A-level. I mean... I mean, kids, kids from the age of eight upwards have phones that has cameras on it. Like, you need to be educating people in this modern age on how to do, how to just, you know, operate as an adult. I mean, I don't think it's set to work. But one, one great thing is, is that thankfully, because of the internet and the way everything's going, you know, you're, if you want to learn something, you can. And that, and that, I think that's, you know, I love what you said about if you, you've got to find what you're best at in the world, what you're passionate, and what people pay for. I mean, you're almost encouraging people to almost evaluate maybe you're in the wrong job. You know, maybe people might have that I guarantee epiphany. they are. I guarantee yeah. that unless they're running their own business, then they are in the wrong job. And I don't mean in disrespect. What you do is right. what I've talked about there with your hedgehog, start it as a side hustle. Start it as a, as a part-time job that you can do on a weekend or do on an evening. You've got plenty of time now to be able to do it. And, and run it and get it wrong and make a real mess of it. Because as soon as it starts earning money for you, then you can scale it up or keep it where it is. And if people had been doing that, and I train people all around the world for this, I've been doing it for like five years, training them about the side hustles and reinventing themselves. Um, if they were doing that, then when this pandemic hit, it wouldn't bother them if they created a digital coaching course or they had a way of uniting people. One of the big growth areas right now is telehealth. And so I'm working exclusively, not exclusively, I'm working with a lot of people in that industry, teaching them digital stagecraft so they can literally go onto a laptop and effectively diagnose and help people properly. Because right now, a lot of doctors have to do it. The only way they're treating people is more cost-effective. People feel more comfortable doing it, um, but they're still not very good at communicating. So there's a lot of scope out there for anybody in any business. And I spend a lot of time working with people to reinvent their business so they can become more effective, especially right now, because I think there's never been a better time to reinvent. Wow. No, so true. I mean... How, I don't know. I mean, what about people that are business are in the wrong? Do you think there's people in the wrong business? Do you think it's you, you? There are some industries that you think you should pivot out of, or do you think everyone's got hope? 
I think everybody's got hope. I think that being in the wrong business, here's the thing. The worst things that happen to you are the best things that happen to you, depending on what you decide to do about them. So it's all about tipping points. If you're in a job that's not paying you, and a job that's really challenging, a job where you think you're going to lose where you are right now, you have no choice but to reinvent. And that means that you're going to get a chance to use that hedgehog, if you're on this call, and go, right, where do I really want to be? How do I get there? Well, I don't know, but it's kind of a really good adventure. So then the adventure starts. Uh, we've encapsulated on the three main things you need to be doing to uh, corona-proof your business. Uh, be the best in the world. So if you're in a position where you are really in a unsure situation with if you're going to be, you know, do I need to pivot? You need to look at your CV, go through what you're good at in terms of your skill set. Think what you're passionate about. I think that's a really important one. I think a lot of us have a chance to reflect at the minute with, are we doing that actually is, are we doing something that's actually enjoyable? Are we, are we, do we love our job? And I think if we still live and breathe that aspect, I think we're, we're pretty, we're on a, onto a winner. And I think you definitely need to stick at your industry or the job that you're in. Um, and just ensuring that people will pay for it. And again, we touched base on this yesterday with Rames. Um, you know, it's got to be relevant and it's got to be problem solving for the people that are in this current crisis. Um, you know, if you're in a situation where your product doesn't serve someone, then you shouldn't really be doing it. And I think that all ties into the ethical selling that we were talking about yesterday. If there's any other questions that we can get ready for David, please put them in the comment box, guys. I'm sure he'll be back quite, uh, he'll be back shortly. So if anyone has uh, anything linked to David, remember he's a public speaker, communication expert. If any of you are really lacking with regards to how to present, how to speak to clients, how to sell potentially over the phone. If any of you are looking to get into public speaking, or if you want to build your profile, this is the man to answer those questions. So feel free, guys, to put some uh, some things in the comment box so when he gets back, we can dive into those. Uh, one of the things that um, I will bring up uh, with that Dave told me to, uh, to bring into the chat later on is he has just launched this new platform, which will be going live shortly called Speak on Stage. So what we will be doing is uh, going into that a little bit later on in the call. I was speaking about your uh, Speak on Stage product again and did a little summary of what we were talking to talking about for the viewers that just joined, but not a problem. Um, I can't remember uh, now what you were talking about when you cut off. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's just revisit back a little bit. I think we were, I think we were tying around the subject. Like if, if, if all industries are kind of, you know, I've got hope. If is there any jobs that you think people should, you know, pivot out of not from an yeah, employer I, point of view? I think every single person on this call should create a side hustle. If you haven't already got one, regardless, yeah. Because we're in uncertain times, and the way that you see the world landscape and industry landscape right now is not guaranteed to be the same way, even in six months. Things are going to change. Things that were important. I mean, look at the nursing industry. Look at the healthcare industry. Suddenly, it's become the most important industry in the world. It's only through as much money at that as we throw into making bombs and guns and stuff like that. These are the people that saved us. Look at the guys who are going, working in, in the shops, supermarkets, looking after us. They're the only reason we're still alive right now. It sounds ridiculous that the imbalance of, the, of attitude that we give to these people, or we did previously, oh, this guy, he, he's cleaning the streets, whatever. Well, these are the guys cleaning it and keeping it clean for us. So I think we, we need a complete reinvention of the way that yeah. we have as a feeling about people. And I think the riots that you're seeing in the US, again, I don't like to talk about politics, but as a black guy, I get it. I don't even need to talk about it. As soon as I saw it, I went, yeah, okay, I get it. Because... That's the reason I ultimately left the UK. I felt more comfortable in a brown country, which effectively a multicolored country, which is what Dubai is. Um, and I think that you should always be thinking about where you need to be and what you can contribute to people. 
And that means staying outside of your comfort zone sometimes. But I think that everybody who's on this call should be thinking about their hedgehog. They should literally take the time to make those three circles. What am I best in the world at doing? What do I love? And also, what will people pay me for? Um, and work out what we should have as a side business. And then work out how to digitize it. Because there's enough people to buy your product. If you were doing origami and making paper planes, if you tried to do it in Dubai or wherever you are, you might not find enough people interested. But on, the, on a global scale, I've got a very good friend of mine called Fred Sharp. He's a really talented magician. And we had a conversation when the lockdown kicked in. And he was saying to me, why don't we, why don't we do uh, presentations? You know, he's, he's entertaining um, companies and doing his magic, just you know, closed circuit magic like this. And I said, why don't you create an academy and train people to do magic, become a coach? And now he's got this incredible magic academy. If you Google it, you can see. And he's been teaching my daughter to do these incredible tricks during lockdown, you know, making spoons disappear and all the rest of it. And everybody has a skill set. And most people don't think about it because in their job, they're not asked to do more than it takes to get themselves paid. But there are so many fulfilling things and things you can do online that are so challenging and interesting. Now's the perfect time to do it. Don't leave it too long because if you don't watch out, forget the second pandemic, second wave, all that stuff. You'll be back into the rat race that you were before and wondering why you missed the opportunity. And I do not believe in our lifetime we'll ever have another opportunity like right now. This reset no. we've gone through right now is incredible. When I started no, I, 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 think, I think you're right. It's it's so it's so important right now to leverage this time. I mean, you, I mean, we've all been there where we've been dragged out to a social situation that we don't want to go to, or we've been we've been stuck at work doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing, and we're procrastinating. And I think when because now we're stuck at home in a way. Um, there's no excuses anymore not to sit down and think, right, I want to create that website or I want to work on that idea that I wanted to do or, or like that side hustle that you said people should have. I, I love this side hustle. I mean, side hustle, I think, is a, is a great, it's another revenue stream. And I, and I think if a lot of people had that, they would be in a much stronger position right now. Um, they work probably financially during this pandemic. So how do you, how do people go about um, kind of arranging that? Because like, you know, I, I get a lot of people probably in this group are very passionate about what they do. They do believe they've got an amazing product and the best in the world. And they are probably pre-COVID, were doing very well. But how, how do people diversify to get something that's a side hustle? What, what constitutes is that? Is it something still linked to the industry or is it something completely separate? What do you advise there? It really depends because every industry is still valid, but it doesn't mean that people are going to want the same offering that they had before. I mean, let's look no, at real estate. Supposing you're in real estate, how many people now really want to have a tiny, expensive flat in the center of town? Whereas what you can have instead is you can be out in the countryside. If you're going to have a business that uses the internet, you never have to worry about COVID because you've got like fields to walk in or you've got the beach to go on and all these different things. So real estate's changing and real estate will also have to offer a room that's like this with uh, Ikea thinking, right, what we'll do is we'll create a, a furniture set that looks like a, a, a TV stage set. So you've got half chairs and half windows and all the rest of it. So when you look through um, the laptop, you can see a really nice decoration. Doesn't mean the rest of the room can be like a garage, but it's just that backdrop. So there are loads of different things that can spin off when you start thinking creatively about where you need to be. So I'm working with a number of entrepreneurs who have looked at where they are right now and they're just going, we're not sure where to go. I help them with the business when it becomes reinvention. I help them get online. I help them become great speakers and communicating. But a large part of it is just that, uh, that ability to think, what can I be doing that be better? And you, if you start off by thinking what value you can give to people and what do people want 
and how can I make their lives better, then that's a great starting point. It's not about you. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about you. They only care about what you do for them. And that's the key to even working live audiences. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. They only want to hear what they can use and what will make their lives better. So always ask that question whenever you interact with anybody, with your partner, with your children, with your colleagues, with your boss, with everybody, um, what do they want from this? And if you look after that and give them what they want, then they'll always love you and they'll always come back to you because it's not about you. It's always about them. No, that is so true. That is so true. So what, pl what, plans, what are your plans over the next next six to 12 months? What are you, obviously we spoke about speak on stage. What are the things have you got in the pipeline? I'd love to know. Global domination. That's it. Nothing less. Um, speak on stage. Basically, I want to help more people become more effective speakers. I think communication skills is a problem for many reasons, not least because of our way of working schools. The teacher tells you to shut up, and so you've got to behave and learn. And why do you need to? It's rubbish. When you do the stuff in the playground, you find that all the kids are really interesting, didn't say anything in the classroom. So now I've got to spend a lot of time undoing the damage for people that's been created. Um, global domination is a side hustle. Yeah, right. I see what it is. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with the US. Um, I'm launching Brand New You as a product, also digital yeah. stagecraft, but all through the on, uh, Speak On Stage uh, platform. My, my aim is just to help as many people as possible, but I also have a family to look after. I also have ambitions. And so by doing something that works along the lines of what I said with that circle, the other circle, you know, creating what the world is needing to have, what I'm very good at and growing my brand and communicating it, that means that every day I love it. So, I mean, one of the things that we had, I was just mentioning it earlier, is when the, when the lockdown happened, I realized, and my friend Ernesto did, I'm sure you did as well, that all the late night talk show hosts, which are pretty much the personality driven people on the planet, you've got your Stephen Colbert, your Trevor Noah, and, and you know, Jimmy uh, Fallon, these guys were, had a reset button put on their business. They had to work from home, from a laptop or a phone, broadcasting, and later on, if you watch these things develop, then they became more effective. And so they're kind of doing the same kind of show without a live audience. And at first they were rubbish. All of them were terrible if they didn't have a stand-up comedian background so they couldn't find the Wi-Fi code as a broadcaster. Because my background's in broadcasting with TV and radio, so I get what people want. And if they didn't have that as a, as, a, as a natural way of doing stuff, then they became challenged. And what I knew, and you've known this as well, is things will go back. They will still get Hollywood big stars, and they'll still have an audience full of people who clap and warm up people. But right now is a chance to get yourself thrown into that game. So if you can join the big boys, by the time they come back out as big boys, you can travel with them. One of the things I was reading today is one of the guys who created WhatsApp was rejected from Facebook. They ultimately bought WhatsApp. Now, um, WhatsApp was bought for, I think, $4 billion. Do you know how many staff they had? 13. No. Wow. Oh, my so God. Wow. The revenue per person that then is huge. Jesus. <laughs> Everybody, wow. Everybody's going on holiday if they've got their own plane. Um, but that just goes to scale and let you understand that you don't need to, to be with a group of people online. And let's face it, you can create a team of people that work for you anywhere in the world. I mean, I had a guy working for me for 11 years who just did it online. I've never met him, and he made all my website. So the opportunities are right now for everybody. No, absolutely. I mean, there was, I mean there's a, so many businesses that we forget that emerged from the last crash. I mean, Pinterest, WhatsApp, Instagram, Uber, Airbnb. Um, I, I, I could go on. I mean, there's so many. I mean, and, and these are massive, massive brands now.
massive brands. I mean, what, what do you think is going to be the shift now? I mean, what do you think is going to be emerging more now out of this crash? Do, do you have any like predictions in that sense? From obviously from your yeah. experience from previous from crashes, what do you think is going to happen? I think that you're going to see a lot more like this of people creating their own products and their own broadcast. I think the, yep. the podcast world is a direct result of this, but the smart people don't do podcasts. They do video podcasts and create podcasts out of it as well. I think you're going to see a lot of incredible things we've never even thought of that will come out of this. Just like you mentioned Uber and you mentioned Instagram, there'll be a number of products that people are just going, now's the right time to launch it, which is why it's become stage is what I'm driving. I think we're going to see more of a push towards community. Initially, yeah, I thought we were going to see less people and more borders being closed. But I think that the, the internet has allowed us to cross over in a way that you would never do before. When we saw the likes of Apple and Microsoft and all these guys who were as big as a country with the GDP of a country and they have staff all around the world, barriers are closed down. I think we're going to see a lot of people disappointed with governments because they should have yeah. stopped this. They should have communicated and stopped it. And what we've yeah. effectively done, whether people get it or not, is we are now on our own together. And that's what I find fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if, if, if anything, it's kind of even helping people that were probably a little bit more introverted before um, that wouldn't want to go to events, kind of open up, come out of the shell and, and kind of, you know, be that voice. that they probably, I mean, do you think there's going to be a lot of people that develop speaking, you know, skills in this in this climate? I mean, for me, I, to be honest, I, could, I guess I could use myself as an example because I had never really done much speaking before this period. I and, and think if you can't speak and you can't communicate effectively, then you, you're like swimming with both hands tied behind your back. And you have no choice now. You not only have to speak, you have to be able to create a brand that people will... Because what, what we haven't talked about, is going to run out of time, I'm sure, is the gig economy, where people don't have a job. They have six different people that they work for. They're freelancers. So if you're a computer programmer, you work for six different companies on short-term contracts. You look after your own insurance, your own pension, you pay your own rent, your own school fees. And what you do is you just get yourself out there and you've got your own people's books. So if you don't have a reason for people to find you, then they won't find you. So you will not survive in this new economy that's coming. Right now, okay, people are still holding on to their jobs and everyone's scrambling to stay above uh, on water, but there will be people who are laid off who never come back in again. And the beautiful thing is if you're old like me and you are thinking, oh my goodness, I was going to probably lose my job because they want to bring in younger people, online your experience is king. If you can coach and help, then you will find a market that doesn't care how old you are, but you need to get used to the new technology. We found a trend in reverse mentoring that was coming just before the pandemic, where older people were working with younger people to learn how to do TikTok and how to do the digital world. I think that there'll be a bouncing up of that. But I think it's a massive opportunity for everybody who embraces it. And anybody who doesn't, well, shame on them. But natural selection, Darwin will take care of everybody who doesn't evolve to the new, the new business model. What, what advice can you give to people that are a uh, slightly older generation that are a bit overwhelmed with the amount to learn and pivoting online probably is a very daunting aspect. I mean, for us, it's not, I mean, we've pivoted quite tremendously online and we were already online to start with and it's been effort. So, I mean, it's not an easy task, don't get me wrong, but what, what's your advice to those people that probably do feel a little bit in the dark in a minute with regards to that? Be scared, but get used to being scared. Be always uncomfortable. I, it, it's a real generalization. I can't really turn around to any particular person and say what their situation is unless I actually know what their situation is. I think that 
Um, first of all, connect with me through LinkedIn. Ask me any question, I'll help you where I can. If I have to spend more time, then I'll work with you directly. But I think that the, the key thing is, you, if you have to Google it, Google it. See what your conditions are. See what your problem is. See what your challenge is and find out who's doing it. So if somebody's addressed it, so for instance, supposing you're a cake maker and you've now got a digital world where it's hard to deliver cakes, why don't you do a TV show where you make cakes for people? Look at the amount of people, life coaches and, 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 and whatever it is. Create a way of helping people. It's not about you. It's about being the mentor to other people's hero journey. So the sooner you can do that as an older person, the better. You're only old when you're dead. Until then, it's just good gray. So just go for it anyway. No, People so, so true. Longer anyway. No, I mean, so true. I mean, are, sorry. sorry, I was just going to say this. I mean, that's another reason, like, if people get a bit daunted, I guess, with how to learn something, that's the beauty of YouTube, beauty of communities. I mean, how many networking groups are you a part of? How many communities are you, are you, are you involved in? Not many, because they tend to annoy me. I'll just be honest. I'm really busy most of the time, actually working with okay. clients. And so I tend to um, to dial down the distractions. And I pull mega focus. I've got laser-like focus on what it is I enjoy doing. And so I don't really want to spend too long explaining to people what I do. I want to spend more time with people knowing what I do and helping them directly, if that makes sense. It's like sure. um, a lot of the, the groups, a lot, I don't meet people for a coffee. I didn't in the normal world. I don't meet them in a digital world. Let's have a coffee. Okay, why are we having a coffee? It might sound really rude, but I can drink my own coffee. I can afford my own meals. What do we get out of this relationship? I'd rather spend time learning and growing because I've got real reasons to do it than just wasting time. And so no. I think people have to value their time more than anything. Even though we now have an extra four hours a day when we're not stuck in traffic, I think you really need to think about what you want out of your life and then start sure. making a headway towards that. No, I, th I think that's incredibly important to really focus on your inner circle, find what you're doing. I mean, now you've got the chance to really map out your day, how you want it. Um, it's compounding. It's every, it's every, we, we've been, we keep talking about this, whether it's fitness or, you know, investments, it's, it's got to, everything takes time to build. So whatever you do now will show later, but if you're not doing it now, it's never going to show, is it? Never going to show. It's completely. How, how do you run a marathon? You put one foot in front of the other and repeat. So yep. whatever you start doing now, and, and this is one of the things I say to people, because people say, oh, you know, I'm not a very good speaker. I don't know what's going to happen. But without being disrespectful to the visually impaired, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. If you are able to be better than the people around you because you know what you're doing and you're moving forward, then it doesn't matter what happens to everybody else. And this journey, one day we end up in a wooden box. Nobody goes in there with you unless it's really creepy. You no. have a one-person journey and you have traveling partners. Right now, what we have is 7 billion people. Now, you're available customers because location doesn't make any difference. So now start thinking bigger than you've ever felt before. Who can I work with? Who would want to be in my tribe? Who would want to connect with me? How can I do this? Because the old existing supply chains for your old existing bricks and mortar business may have lost a ton of people in it. And so you can't do what you needed to do anyway. So. I find it a really interesting adventure to be in, and I suggest to everybody that you think the same way. Think about it as an adventure, and re remember that the rules are yours. You are to blame for the happiness and the sadness that goes into your life. Don't blame anybody else. Don't blame the government. Don't blame the pandemic. None of that stuff. You have to decide, what do I do next? And when you've got that power, you've got the power to change everything.
Wow. What, um, okay, well, I mean, we're probably going to wrap this up soon. So I would love to kind of know one final message. How, how will people best build their profile? So one of the, one of the things we spoke a little bit about before we started this conversation is you, you're a big advocate for speaking. And I think that would be in a really good way to, cause that's how you, is that how you've become successful? It's because of your communication and, and just being able to speak in front of people. You, that's probably been a huge part to why you are who you are today. So you recommend that for everyone or not for everyone? I'd and how do people even get into that? I'd recommend speaking because when, of course, at the level that I speak, it's more like a martial art than it is like a, you know, a vocal talent. So what I, I, what I bring to it is if you can work out the thoughts in your head and who'd be interested in it and what your target audience is and the best way to communicate it from in here to them in a way that they would find it useful and want to do more of it, that's basically emotional intelligence. So you start with yourself and your own point of view. Then you work out what they want and how to translate it to them. That's how you start building a brand because it's not about what you want. It's about who, what your audience wants. And if you don't know what your audience wants, then you have to think about what, who is your audience? I mean, it's about creating the avatar because there's no point in me going out and pretending that my stuff is available for everybody because it's not. Not everybody wants the stuff I've got and not everybody wants to pay for it. It's the people who really see the significance of it. And this is true for you. You don't want tons of people. You want the right people in your tribe. You want to have really deep emotional roots with the people you're working with, not a widespread, because widespread people don't really care. I mean, if you're going to create a tribe, you want a tribe to be a small, I mean, you only need a thousand people to pay for you for the rest of your life. So those thousand people are devoted and they love what you do. I mean, this is one of the things that made such a big difference to the music industry. The music industry was, was run by all these record company executives who would choose to work with you and then they put you in debt after the first album or by the time the third album, you might break even. And most people didn't. Most people ended up in debt because it was a horrible business model. So then digital came along and YouTube. So you could create a relationship with your fans all around the world by doing videos in your house. Using this technology, you could bypass the middleman. You don't need anyone's permission. And if they buy your stuff and they buy your songs, and they support you when you go out on tour and they buy your merchandise, you can be a rock star without even having to worry about anybody else's permission. So for instance, years ago, I remember talking to a record company executive because I worked in the radio world, and he said that they calculated how much money Beyonce made in a given year from her music, and it was $50,000. But she's a multi-millionaire, not just because she married good, but she actually was. What was that from? Concert tours, merchandise, sponsorship, you know, doing all that stuff was where the money was. So that will be true for every industry. You have to think about where the actual payment comes in from it and what you can give as yeah. value. And you can collaborate with people as well and, and get your hands dirty, make a lot of mistakes. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, so break a lot of them. And the great thing is digitally, most of the time, unless you've said something really stupid online, um, then you can get away with it. But I would, I, I would start off with looking at LinkedIn because that's the business a uh, person's choice, um, especially if they're slightly older. But I wouldn't ignore TikTok or Instagram or any of those things, but you have to go for a different dance for that. And I'd get, I'd pay for a coach. Oh, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily hire somebody to do social media for you because then that sort of leaves you still back in the same position. I would hire a coach and I'd learn how to do it properly because it's cost effective. And if you plan to, I post on what LinkedIn once a day. I post something in the morning, I'll have a look at it a couple of times and then leave it. And I've managed to use that technique to get to 60,000 connections on LinkedIn. And I'm not a power user at all, but I've got friends who've got 500,000 people. 
And those same people don't do anything for a job that they're monetizing through LinkedIn. They've got loads of people who comment, they've got these big, you know, clickbait things of a cat that's rescued from a tree and they say, that's the importance of caring about your neighbor. Okay, how do you earn from that, buddy? Well, I don't earn. Well, why are you doing it then? So I know the people that I'm related to follow my stuff. I don't like saying followers, I like saying friends. So they like the stuff I'm doing and they connect with it because it's of interest to them. So I would say, once you've worked out your hedgehog and you've worked out your avatar, the kind of person that really wants your stuff, and you might have several avatars, you might have, you know, an older audience, and you work out a name. So for instance, if I'm doing, supposing I'm teaching people social media, I might have a guy called Peter. Peter is 35 years old. He's got a pregnant wife. He works in a normal job in a bank, and he wants to start doing his side hustle. Now, he's got disposable income, but not a huge amount of it. And so therefore, when I write my posts, I aim at Peter. I write it the way that he'd want to hear it. Now, that doesn't mean I mentioned Peter in the title, but I think about what he would want. That means that I will always focus and I'll always resonate with my target market because everyone's most likely to buy my stuff. doesn't mean that I miss everybody else. The right people will want it as well. And you might find you have several different, different avatars. There's Peter, there's an old guy called Jim, and there's a, there's a teenage girl called Stephanie. You might be writing for all those different people, but you might have to do different versions for them. And once you've got that worked out, your product, the people you're working with, and you know that they can afford your services, why would you bother doing anything else apart from scaling it? It's like going into the garden and saying, right, what's the lowest hanging fruit? I want to have you know, the, the, the pineapples at the top or the coconuts, but I can pick the grapes now. Why don't I just make something out of grapes? And then I've got all these other ones and then just scale it up. And I think that's yeah, the way people should start their side hustles. Wow, amazing. Dave, thank you so much for so much value in this call it's been super super interesting to speak to you and i'd love to have you back in the future if you're open to it so thank you so much how do people get back in, how do people keep in touch with you and, and stay connected and, and find out more about what you're doing finally um i've got a couple of websites i've got um dave crane global if you have a look at that one and just connect with me directly through dave crane global if you yeah. go to speak on stage if you want to become an effective speaker and i'll find you from there or you can communicate with me there or just find me on linkedin uh, Dave Crane Dubai is what you look for. It looked like me as soon as you find it anyway. So Dave Crane Dubai. I would suggest that's the fastest way to do it. But like anything, I mean, if you're good at what you do, just Google Dave Crane. Google Dave Crane. I'll show up in lots of different embarrassing pictures, um, but some good ones as well. And there, connect with me. And I'd love to help you. I'd love to help you Great. get to where you want to be. Life's too short to not do it. Amazing. Well, I mean, you're in the group now, so if anyone has any other questions after watching this, after they catch it a bit later, I know a lot of people are tuning in later in this evening. Um, I'm sure you'll be okay if they tag you, and you can always probably jump in later and just answer a couple of quick comments. So thank you so pleasure. much. Have an amazing evening, and thank you again, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure. Timothy, thank you so much for inviting me, and thanks to everybody for watching. All right. Thank you. Bye. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community.